Hello, and welcome to week two of Star Trek Sundays. I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host, T. Today, we're going to be discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. At the top of the room, we have pinned the Star Trek Sundays link tree, which lists the episodes covering this theme that we'll reference today. Thank you, T, for curating a collection of episodes for us to revisit. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me and forms part of a new YouTube channel, which will post highlights from conversations on Clubhouse. Once again, it was a pleasure revisiting these episodes. Several moments really hit me on my rewatch, and I can't wait for this discussion, truly. Um, before I turn this over to T, I just want to say we will be inviting people up to the stage. Um, we'll just let T do his introduction. Uh, and then perhaps a summary of what will happen, and then um, and then we'll invite people up. Um, and I do want to say I've had lots of questions in the back um, back channel about whether you have to be a true Star Trek fan to participate. No, absolutely not. We do have topics we want to discuss, and we're discussing them through the lens of Star Trek. But if you haven't seen the episode and you have some thoughts on the um, the actual topic, please feel free to share them. Um, so once again, thank you for your time. And I'll turn the mic over to T. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, the topic of uh, gender is actually dealt with surprisingly often in Star Trek, which is why I'm excited to discuss it today. I should probably mention that when I say gender, I mean roles it relates to your sex concerning your outward appearance. And by sex, I mean some genetic disposition as it relates to your biology. The topic is interesting because Star Trek has several episodes in which they discuss alien races where such concepts would be entirely foreign. So I think it'll make for a lively discussion on the topic. Normally, I wouldn't host a room on gender, as it's a topic I don't know how to make interesting so we can have a good discussion about it. And it's more likely to get someone upset at you for saying the wrong thing. But when we view it through the eyes of Star Trek, suddenly it becomes a subject that I'm comfortable discussing. Because now, instead of being something that I have to be completely politically correct about, we can just discuss what we saw on the TV and relax our political stance on the matter. You know, right or wrong, fiction gives us an opportunity to ask these types of hard questions without having an agenda of our own. And Star Trek, I think, was woke before the word was used to describe it. I'm going to try and make that case today in terms of um, showing you the summaries of the episodes and some of the quotes that I think highlight the, the, the awareness of the gender issues that were present even back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and I think that they were very much ahead of their time in terms of discussing these really hard questions. So with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Victoria. And I'm really excited about this episode. <laughs> Thanks, T. Yeah, I have to agree. The writers were woke before anyone really used the word and before that became a word that was um, almost used in a negative way. Uh, so just to recap, this is Star Trek Sundays uh, in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And I'll be bringing people up on stage to share your thoughts in a few minutes. T, let's start with The Offspring. Uh, can you provide a summary of the episode, just to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it? And then I have a few questions about that particular episode. We'll start there. You can answer the questions, and then we'll invite a few people up. Yeah, The Offspring was definitely one of my favorites. Uh, season 3, episode 16, originally aired on March 12th, 
1990. So this is back when, you know, these types of discussions were, were not quite being had in the media yet. Data successfully creates a new android, which he views as his child. However, the magnitude of his accomplishments quickly attract the scrutiny of Starfleet, who wants to separate the child from Data and the Enterprise for study. Matters are complicated further when the child begins to develop da uh, beyond Data's abilities. I chose this episode because Lol, the child, has to choose her outward appearance, and the list of available options is wide open to her, so she could have been a male Klingon if she wanted to, but she chose to be a human female instead. I felt that over I felt the overacting of Lol was overshadowed by the alarm of the Fed, the alarm the alarm that the Federation took to what Data thought was what everyone else was already doing, which was making a child. And they tried to control uh and they tried to exert control over him and his child um as if it was their call to make. While Data wanted to take the opposite route and let Lal choose her own path. I think there were some incredible quotes from this, like uh, Picard saying, you're seeking to achieve what only your own creator has been able to achieve to make another functioning sentient Android. Data replied, that is why I must attempt this, sir. He was saying that um, he had to because this is his lineage. And Lal asked some great questions like, um, you know, father, why am I me instead of someone else? What, what a question. At the end, she said, thank you for my life. That's how she said goodbye to Data. And I, at one point, Data was challenged on his ability to be a parent. And he, sh he shot back, um, you know, regarding the Admiral and, you know, his first child. I'm forced to wonder how much experience he had as a parent when his first child was born. And that hit me. That, that, that was a, a, a moment where I was like, yeah. You're, you're shooting back with good arguments here. This is good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved this, and you just reminded me. I, I When I was re-watching it, um, I hadn't seen it since its original airing, and um, I keep forgetting the ends of some of these shows and that um, it doesn't just wrap up neatly. <laughs> So there's some of these, I was like, what? What happens? Why do they have to say goodbye? Like it was, um, it can become emotional, even though it's the, you know, the acting isn't completely superb in some of these shows, but they, um, yeah, it, it was, it was just, it was really good. So well, let's start with, should genders apply to anything that presents as playing some sex-based role, including androids? And where is the line between gendered and non-gendered? Was Lal androgynous when she was, quote, born, end quote, and then became female? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's uh, fluid re regarding how uh, outward appearances occur. Because in the beginning, I saw Lal as androgynous. I, I did not see, uh, you know, I did not see them as a him or her. Um I saw them as having, um, you know, potentially features of both and or neither, right? Um, in that they were humanoid, but they didn't necessarily possess 
human parts um, in the right areas. And they didn't have, a, a, they had a voice that could be either female or male. Um, and then when they, when they went to choose, right, you, you saw them as a, as a, as a male Klingon. And of course it was a he, you would, you would, just, you would walk up to him and go, well, that's him. Right. Um, but instead she chose that female. And, and so this is the role that she chose for herself. And now she is female in my mind. And I called her a, a her. I think that this extends to anything that we sort of see as gendered. I think people gender their cars. Um, they gender their, you know, computers and things like that. Right. Um, they can, they can really, it's anything that, you know, uh, if you put them, if you put enough, uh, 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 clothing and, and makeup on a mannequin, you'll gender the mannequin. Um, I, I think there's one, it's one of those things where anytime that something plays that outward appearance, um, it can certainly have that, that gender assignment in our colloquial speech, even if it isn't one of the cases that we have, like, you know, sort of a strict assignment of sex there. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of this, yeah, yeah. Part of uh, what I was feeling when I was watching some of these was how freeing it seemed before somebody had to choose which um, gender to to be, and and why does it have to be that way? Um, it is funny because my husband often. Um, uh, questions me because I will gender inanimate objects and go look at that little guy. He's like, why is it a guy? And and then I have to go, yeah, what was it about it that I I said guy instead of girl or something like that? And we're just I don't know if we're wired or conditioned. So that's another topic. Um, I'm going to invite a few people up on stage. I don't see any hands yet, but I'm hoping that uh, a few people will accept the invite and then um, and we can just talk generally. I'm really interested to know where the line is between gender and non-gendered and androgynous type of things. So um, anybody who wants to come up can put their hand up and uh, and then we'll just sort of go through it in PTR order. So I'll just do a little uh, reset for people who are new to the room. This is the Star Trek Sunday's room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. And we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And the topic we're discussing right now is uh, through the episode, The Offspring. And my question to you, Sean, is where's the line between gendered and non-gendered? Was Lal androgynous and then became a female? You can answer that or um, make your comments about about the episode in general. Thanks for uh, having me up here today. I, when I watched this, which was what quite a long time ago, was that like ninety two or something, ninety three? I forget. Um, I always okay. I I always assumed she was a female. And that that was her his daughter, um, and people didn't know how to relate to her. Um, having a female android suddenly on board out of nowhere, I thought that was interesting. Um, and um, you know, I mean, was she sexual? I don't think so. But I always equated her as female. Um, cars that I have owned, I have tried to figure out whether they are male or female. Sometimes I'm sure they're male and sometimes I'm sure they're female and other ones, other times I'm not. So maybe they're 
them or androgynous or both. I don't know. Um, that's just my personal opinion for my cars and and um, boats and um, an airplane ultralight things that I've owned in my past. Um, so I thought this was a tearjerker episode. This is one of my favorite episodes of Next Generation um, because it pulls in a lot of emotions. And, um, you know, at the time, my my kids were younger, young, and um, it was just difficult to see her leave. You know, I thought, wow, this is great. And it was just in one, in less than an hour, she's gone, you know. So it was very sad to me. Yeah, I, I I found myself with feelings uh, at the at the end as well. It, I you know you've made me think about something, Sean, because her appearance was female, right? Like they never, I mean, they didn't say you have to choose to be a girl. They were saying you have to choose an appearance of something, and um, and that's that's interesting because you know, like you just said, I don't. She wasn't. Uh, going to be in uh, embodying everything that is female, uh, but her appearance was going to be that, and that was how people were going to accept her. And uh, for me, I just I want to sit with that for a, a little bit. T, did you have any response to Sean before we move on to Joshua? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sean made a great comment, just incredible. And I want to, I would sort of want to address what you were saying, Victoria, because there's a quote from this I want to just read. Um, in which Lal is having a conversation um, with Troy and Data, and Lal says, gender female. Troy says, that's right, Lal, just like me. Lal says, gender male, points at Data. Data says, correct. And Lal says, I am gender neutral, inadequate. And I thought that that, that was a faux pas. I, I thought that there was a moment there where I was like, okay, well, wait a minute. I get that we're trying to push towards a certain plot line where they where they pick an appearance, but of the thousands of different uh, aliens, there had to have been, you know, binars and and other you know genderless species in there um, that that would have been genderless and or or gender neutral. And I don't think that the gender neutral inadequate was 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 quite in line with the message that they were trying to send um I, I think they were just they just made a faux pas in the writing there so just wanted to calm that out there yeah i mean they're not the writers are definitely not perfect or anything but um yeah um and you know i'm obviously they they had to get an actor or actress to play this part so they chose a female and um and I'm a guy watching at the time. I thought she was rather attractive, except for the fake wig. But um, I, I thought she was rather cute. And um, so I just equated her as being a female, at least in appearance, you know, as far as that is concerned. So that was just my human reaction to this uh, actress playing a android on television at the time. I, I wonder, having watched this and the others, which are linked in the link tree above, why wasn't she allowed to choose Janai? 
right, which are gender neutral. So uh, that's uh, that's really interesting. So um, this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. Um, and the topic we're on now is where is the line between gendered and non-gendered? We're talking about the episode Offspring, the Offspring, and was Lal androgynous and then became female? My question is, was it just a, a facade, uh, a veneer? I'm just going to move to Charlotte. Um, I've shared spaces with Charlotte on this sort of topic before, and hopefully Charlotte will have um, something to add. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I, I especially appreciate the subject. Um, I, I was on active duty in the Navy at the time, and I vaguely remember this episode. But is this perhaps the first mention that that we know of, um, and not specifically in Star Trek, but but in in um, TV history in in general, where there is um, such a character, where that the exploration of that character's gender is is in this particular subject, they're either neutral or or uh, they get to choose their gender. Because I I don't recall another uh, actor or another character um, in anything else prior to this. This is really the first one, and this is why I feel this was so impactful at the time and and since. Does anyone know that? I think you bring up a really interesting point, Charlotte. Because I'm trying to think back. Um, I know there were a lot of very 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 popular episodes for different strokes um three's company things of that nature that dealt with um three's company was the one that dealt with the um uh the the you know gay lesbian situations the most they really did not cover any sort of any sort of like real gender issues it was always sort of a it was always sort of more of a, of a comedy around you know hiding the fact that jack was gay and that was it um and and i don't think there was there was nothing on punky brewster there was nothing on belvedere nothing that that i can recall so i don't know if anybody else can recall anything but i think you bring up a good point this may have been a first for TV. Yes, like the the the, um, the shows that were the heavy hitters, such as All in the Family. Well, they they explored uh, transvestism, um, drag queens, uh, homosexuality, rape. Um, Maud explored abortion, um, and it, but I, I I just don't recall this ever being explored in other TV pro programming other than than this particular show and that's why I think it was so impactful and yet it kind of went to sleep for a while you know but but I'd be curious as to how many people you know thought about that I, I, I I've considered my own um, gender fluidity um, in, in just you know these recent years and yet I've had so much exposure to TV in my lifetime I'm 60 years of age and I am, um, I'm in a relationship with my wife. Uh, we've been together 30 years. And um, it's, it, you know, she, she's, she's a TV watcher. I've been a TV watcher. But 
Um, yeah, I, I, I really think this is one of the first times. Thank you for that. Thank you for the hearts and the thumbs up. I appreciate it. So, um, and I appreciate the subject very much. It's something that, that I think is, is, is something that we are more aware of now than ever before. At least I am. Yeah, thank you, Charlotte. Oh, go ahead, T. Hearts and thumbs up for, for your sharing because that was awesome. Um, the thing that comes to mind with with the uh, the gender fluidity is the other thing that the other faux pas that they made um, was when they were talking about this in this very same quote. Um, they said, uh, whatever you choose will be yours for your lifetime. It's a decision that will affect how people interrelate with you. And I think that that was another faux pas. I think they didn't realize that, you know, no, actually she can, you know, there's no reason that she can't, she can actually go ahead and, and, and choose a different appearance. You know, if she, if she could do it one time, she can do it a second time. There's no problem with that. So I think that was another faux pas there. I think that, you know, that was another not quite thinking through the right message that they were trying to send, you know? Yeah, thank, th you. Uh, thank you for those quotes, T. That's that's um, great. Um, yeah, as Charlotte knows, and some of you know, I I, grew, I talk about this on occasion. But I I, I was a teenager in the um, in the uh, '80s, and there was a lot of androgyny, and I think that formed part of the reason why, um, as much as I identify as a sit het normative white female um i sometimes feel like the the costume or whatever it is of femininity or of a woman or having to just identify as that i don't feel like i'm anything but that but having to wear that feels like a burden sometimes and so when i watch these shows i i feel like oh man it would be so good to just be genderless and and have my sexuality be just private um because and and that's part of why i just love clubhouse <laughs> because um i don't think we're seeing each other perhaps some are but i don't think we're seeing each other as anybody but these brains and voices and stuff and and it i find it quite refreshing um so I just want to say that this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And we're talking about where the line is between gender and non-gendered and androgynous. And, you know, was this android androgynous? And then she became a female. Um, uh, and, and others about this particular, uh, other topics uh, covered in uh, The Offspring. Uh, Joshua, are you ready to have a little share? I am. And hey, imagine that my unmute uh, option on my Clubhouse app is working now. It's amazing how when you start th turn things off and turn them back on again, they work. Um, yeah, I uh, before I mention any of the gender stuff, if I will, I, I will say that this is definitely one of my more favorite episodes, specifically Offspring. Um, I didn't pre-watch before this particular uh, Clubhouse room, but I have watched The Next Generation in its entirety, I think at least three times over now, I want to say. Um, and for me, um, you know, uh, many of you know I'm blind. Um, those of you who've known me, but if you look at my profile, um, it's not a shtick, it's part of my existence. Um, at the time, it was really interesting 
for me. And there were some other things which I came to keep a little bit closer to the vest than my disability. But at the time that that uh, originally aired, or when I, I saw it, I still had quite a bit of eyesight, but I had already lost the vision in my right eye. I had very limited eyesight in my left eye. Um, I felt frequently like an inconvenience um, because I didn't really fit into the blind world and I didn't really fit into the sighted world quite so much because I, just for a lot of reasons, just kind of where my, there wasn't a, a spectrum relevant to vision. Um, so it, there was an aspect though, um, when they were trying to tell data, oh, you can't have, this is, you know, where law was an inconvenience. It was something different um, than what people were used to and were willing to accept and could wrap their brain around. And um, I recognize that the, the issue of gender and the issue of disability and acceptance and people's discomfort and ableism and all that sort of thing are, are different issues. There are some parallels, and certainly for me personally, um, the the value of law's existence and the value of my existence. You know, I was born in 80. So at the original airing, I was nine, you know, nine, 10 years old when I probably saw it because I might've only seen it on a, um, I was going to say a replay on a rerun, uh, just a couple years later, maybe mid early nineties still, you know, I was, maybe middle school age. And, and for me personally, there was a, the, the be having something give voice, if in a way that I couldn't articulate very clearly, this sense of being valued by some, even if most people don't get it, uh, was incredibly cathartic and meaningful for me. Um, and it is, stuff like that, that transcends maybe the particular issue that's being directly addressed of the, of the episode, but the uh, kind of larger themes that are a little bit more universal. Um, and, and for a lot of reasons, but that is one aspect of, in particular, Star Trek, the next generation, which I really, um, was very meaningful for me over the years in, in kind of having like, Hey, you know, not everybody's going to understand, but this is a thing. And, and then just recognizing that people have their prejudices and the people have their, you're like, you're so angry that one admiral when you're watching the episode and you're, but, and you feel so much for, for lol. Um, but, but yeah, that, I think that whole kind of exploration of the value of life and the value of whether or not people fit into people's boxes and, and categories and, and, the discomfort with the uh, less than commonplace or not so commonplace um, was was very meaningful. Um, I don't know relevant to the the over the thing that T said about the faux pas um, relevant to this the discussion of gender. Uh, it could have been that, and I, I would actually want to go back and rewatch the episode. We all know from the first season, those of us who are dar- hard Star Trek fans, the. Uh, the episode in which Lieutenant Yar had to, it's like the weird matriarchal society kind of thing, but it was really handled a little bit cringy, uh, relevant to the, the role of men and women. I can't remember the episode. Maybe T can, can pipe up. It's the one where, uh, I think 
there was a, a male leader who was attracted to Yar, and so somehow she was supposed to fight his his wife, but he didn't have any land. I don't remember specifics. Um, but all that to say, yes, they're human. Um, but also, when I remembered watching that episode, and maybe and I'm I'm almost done. I I wonder if I'll have the same response. The way her you talking about it is not so much that they made a faux pas, which they they could have, but also that the sheer enormity of that type of a decision, um, even if there is the potential, which they didn't explore for her to change it again, um, that's still, I would imagine, a very overwhelming proposition to decide how people are going to perceive you relevant to how you might feel yourself. Um, and I think I'll, uh, I'll end there for now. Uh, thank you for that, Joshua. Uh, I really appreciate your contribution. T, did you have a response to Joshua before we move on? Yeah, two things. Uh, first of all, the Code of Honor was season one, episode four, um, and one of my one of the really cool episodes because, in my mind, they were simply paying homage to the original episodes, uh, the TOS episodes. Um, uh, because of the fight scene, I mean, even the da 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 da, you know, it was very much, you know, just in in that style and and doing the doing the the fight with the, the cheesy swinging at each other and missing, and it was great. Um, the other thing that I wanted to respond to was that, yeah, the admiral in the scene where um, he was saying that you know we we're just going to take lol and you know, take her away from data and data's like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. You were so angry at the, at the, at the Admiral, that whole episode. And I, I thank you for bringing that up because I thought that was one of the, uh, another thing there um, that we could just do a whole episode around was sort of, you know, how much uh, right do, does the Federation have over those types of things? Because I think there's a number of episodes in which the uh, Federation, you know, sort of, tries to exert its its might there and sort of gets, you know, reared back in, as it were. So, uh. Uh, Thank you. Um, okay, well, we're going to move on. Uh, we're still on The Offspring. This is the Star Trek Sunday's Room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And we're discussing the episode The Offspring, and um, where is the line between gendered and non-gendered was Lal, which uh, was Data's child, which she, androgynous to begin with, and then became a female. Uh, Steve, thank you for your patience and um, wondering what your uh, thoughts are on this episode. Yeah, so I wanted to point out some things to do with, um, you know, what's happening in, in our universe and in, in our reality uh, around the time that these things are being written. Um, the, I mean, I think we all kind of know there's always been a trend of the more quirky types of, of people, um, getting involved for whatever reason in entertainment. And you just always have, uh, a lot of, of, um, interesting perspectives that especially back in those times wouldn't be allowed even as so much to be portrayed on the, on, on television because it was, not representative of the representative of the majority. So there'd always just be this insecurity to like believe that the people would be 
accepting of of any kind of challenge to their thought. But when Gene Roddenberry, you know, was was able to make his breakthroughs with his writing in in Star Trek, the original series, that kind of put put a finger on it that like, no, you, you could get away with quite a lot within this community because they're very quirky uh, fans in general. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, oh, that that's great. Thank you for that. Uh, Steve, I, I really appreciate um, that contribution. Uh, we do have a couple of other episodes to discuss, but I didn't want to leave uh, Stu hanging. Um, Stu, were you going to discuss this generally, or did you have something uh, to say about this particular episode uh, and lull? Um, because if, if we kind of like to break it into to episode discussion. So um do you want to ch- chime in now or or wait for the next episode? Oh, I was going to chime in on um, this one. Was my mic? Oh, sure. My Go mic ahead. On, was my mic on earlier when I popped up on the stage? Sorry about that. No, no, that's okay. So, um, so this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy oh, yeah. full of aliens. Yep. And this will be the last. Yeah. So this will be the last. Um, uh, or, or for now, until we head to popcorn. Um, the 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 last contribution on uh, the offspring, and then we'll move on to uh, the host. Sure. Uh, so, Stuart, uh, what did you have to say on this? Yeah, um, I vaguely remember this episode as well. Um, I haven't had a chance to catch up with all the episodes, but I'd really like to because I really want to get my TNG game. It's one of my bucket lists is to go through TNG on Netflix. <clears throat> I, I used to feel sorry for Data and how people would get so impatient with him. Um, or with the character, because I imagine that someone who, like Data, could be insufferable in some ways in a social context, or someone who was just either naive or uh, (laughs) really socially inept by the fact he was learning, he was an android. But in this particular one, I thought it was interesting, um, going to what uh, Steve said, the other reason that they choose, um, uh, you know, uh, humanoid characters is because unfortunately you know science fiction has always looked through an anthropological sorry an anthropomorphic lens so because we're talking about the it's generally all about the human experience and it's about human emotions human ethics human politics because we can only speak about that through a human lens so i think a lot apart from the special effects and and stuff like that uh the other reason i think is just because that's where it started from a practical sense, you know, with shows like Doctor Who and um, Lost in Space and all those other shows, is that it also is that it's far more easier to relate to an alien character that is humanoid than it is, say, to a gelatinous mass, uh, like a Seth Rogen made a joke of that in um, The Orville, or, um, say, a big crystalline structure that's made of silicon. Um, because we're so used to recognizing faces, so there's that immediately facial recognition, and we can empathize more with the character if they look human rather if they're just a sort of mass of rocks. It's going to be harder for us to empathize. Um, or even an animal, even if it's animalistic, because we're used to seeing animals in the real world. So if we get animal traits, we can kind of feel like this with pets. Um, and yeah, my first exposure to. Uh, interesting things about gender issues is that back in the in the 90s and 80s, in, well, in the 90s at high school, I was going through my high school, I was going through a bit of a sci-fi book binge, the classics. Um, but then I went on to a book called uh, The Forever War, 
which was uh, written by a gentleman. It, it mostly was an interstellar war book. Uh, but it focused also a lot on the alienation a gentleman faced. And it was basically his retelling of his experience returning from the Vietnam War, uh, how he couldn't survive in society. But there was this interesting part is because they're using uh, a faster than light travel, uh, they keep experiencing time dilation when they go off and fight these battles against this alien and return. So even though they've been on tour for four or five years, it's like 50 to 80 years has passed by on Earth. And so the first time they come back, apparently they come back to Earth and apparently there was this massive resource war and that they basically, um, government, human government became ugly Archie, where everything was divided by class and uh, status. And on top of that, due to overpopulation, um, the Earth had adopted um, more homo embraced homosexuality and that the genders seemed to be more mixed where f feminine uh, f people who identified as women or females tended to be more masculine and masculine from more gender. So, you know, it was written in the 70s, so it kind of had a it was sort of a twang of a bit of homophobia in there. But it was more about how this gentleman couldn't relate, how it was so alien to him to come to a world where homosexuality was a norm, where heterosexuality was shunned. Um, it was just seen as a social taboo. It was kind of not like illegal, but it was just seen as, why would you do that? You know, you're basically creating another human life when the world is starving and the world's in, you know, in resource decline. Um, so he had to deal with that. Um, obviously, that's why he went back to the war, because he couldn't um, relate to real life. But that really made me start thinking, like, what would the future be like? Like, would gender become fluid? Would would we not recognize gender the same way we do? And I think um, when we talk about LOL and uh, the Android, that when he was looking about appearance, um, whether that's just intentional or unintentional, it did raise some interesting points that it was, they spoke only about the appearance, not about woman or female or man. It's like, what do you want to look like? Um, yeah, so I, I'm not sure. It's um, an interesting point of view. I did like the episode. I, I kind of got frustrated with how everyone was so impatient with LOL because, you know, they couldn't just explain to LOL, look, you're in a classroom now, so you've got to act like these children aren't very aren't going to be as intelligent as you. But, you know, it's a TV show. I always just get frustrated with how impatient everybody was with Data, but, you know, they're a Navy ship. They've got a job to do, I guess. So um, they can't babysit uh, these guys all the time. But, yeah, I just want to say um, I, I it is an interesting thing to – to talk about and thinking about this does remind me of the first time I read that book and I was exposed to this it really opened my eyes to what to thinking about gender and it's not just binary you know who knows what people may think of gender in the future great thanks for that uh Stu that's uh wonderful T did you have any comments on that before we move on to the next one because that kind of leads us into the next episode as well Okay. Um, I couldn't quite hear you at that point, so I don't know if you're having trouble with your mic, but uh, I'll just do the reset and then we can move on to the next episode and a, um, a summary by T. So this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. We're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And the next uh, topic is going to be uh, discussed through the episode called The Host. 
so T, why don't you give us a little bit of a summary of that? And then um, I've got some questions regarding that episode too, which I think uh, this this one was just, um, yeah, this, this one is a, a big one for me. So if you could go ahead with the, um, the summary, that would be great. Yeah, I think, I think this one was a big one for me too. Um, the host was season four, episode 23, originally aired on uh, 5-13-1991, so uh, a year later, uh, in which a Trill ambassador is on board to mediate a dispute and falls in love with Dr. Crusher. When the Trill host is killed, the symbiote has to temporarily has to be temporarily joined to Commander Riker to continue the negotiations and the affair with Dr. Crusher. Now, I chose this episode because towards the end, the trill is transferred to a female body, and the relationship doesn't survive this transfer because Dr. Crusher doesn't love the new host. And so there's a very poignant breakup scene at the end, and I thought that this was like, you know, really the whole point of the tale was to sort of show this breakup scene. It's like, why are you, why are you doing this if not to give this, you know, some sort of you know, resolution here. And the resolution was that, you know, Dr. Crusher was confronted by, you know, what, what she thought was, you know, what, what he thought, she, I'm not sure what she thought was her lover. And Dr. Crusher said, no. Um, and explained to her that I, I just, I just can't handle you, you know, having one body one day and one body, a different body the next day, when will it end? And she said, Perhaps someday our ability to love won't be so limited. I thought that was so poignant. That was such an important thought to take with us because, you know, it was the very last thing that she said. It was with that, you know, the, the trill got up and left. Um, and I, I just thought it was so, um, so important that we thought about that, that like, you know, why is our ability to love so limited? Thank you for that. Yeah, th this just blew my mind because I kind of knew what the ending was. But what I didn't know or remember until I was watching it was that in between the symbiote, the the being that was Odin, that, uh, that Beverly was in love with, um, that would then get transferred into a trill body. While they were waiting for this new host to come, the trill body had to be in, in put into a human body, which wouldn't have uh, lived uh, for more than a couple of days, or I think it was a, a day or two. And that uh, symbiote was put into Riker's body. And, and so we see this really odd situation where Beverly, who knows Riker, but also knows Riker has been taken over by this symbiote. Um, she has to deal with the being in love with what's inside Riker, but still looking at this person who she knows and, and feels is sort of brotherly. And um, yeah, I even brought up this, <laughs> this whole episode with my husband because I kept wondering if the female host had been the first replacement body, if that would have changed anything because I just kind of thought that this whole having to get over the transfer to Riker thing was uh, a hitch in the giddy-up, if you will. Because uh, I know I would have a difficult time with the 
the person, let's say the symbiote, uh, I loved being transferred into the body of someone I already knew. And and I, for me, I thought I would have an easier time having it transferred into the body of a female trill than a human man that I knew, even though I feel that I'm a heterosexual person. Um, but if you're already in love, you know, you're just already in love. Uh, and so I just wondered about that. So um, I'll just do a, a, a quick uh, reset here. This is the Star Trek Sunday's room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. We're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And the topic we're discussing right now is from the episode, The Host. So I'll go to Sean to see if, um, Sean, you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, it's been a while since I saw that episode. I think that uh, depending on one's um, sexual preferences, the the outward appearance of the person comes into play when one falls in love with someone. So um, if you know, so if if you're if you're heterosexual and you're not heteroflexible, you're definitely heterosexual, then you might have a problem with the trill suddenly uh, coming into a host body that is your same sex. Um, if you're if you're not, then that would be no problem at all. So this whole thing about falling in love and love is a very complicated human experience that is, you know, based on hormones, but also on a lot of other things. And it can be quite complicated, as we all know. And um, but I think one sexual orientation that they're predisposed to have uh, affects whether the outside appearance uh, is important or not in some cases. And for some, it's not important at all. Um, if you're if you're um, bisexual or um, pansexual. Um, whatever, then it, it doesn't really matter to you. You can fall in love with someone regardless of the outside appearance. So that's all I got to say on that matter. And as far as the episode uh, you mentioned, um, Three's Company, I think in, uh, you know, um, John Ritter played, um, I think, the character of Jack. I think he was not playing a gay character. He was playing a straight character that was pretending to be gay so that the Ropers, the the people that own the apartment would not find any fault with a guy being with two girls in the same sharing the same apartment at the time so um and he did a great job and i'm i'm sad that he's no longer with us but and on that i'll land uh, thank you sean um i was so excited to get to everybody's opinion that i i actually forgot to ask t what he thought he gave us such a good summary so um and i, I agree that that we we have these preferences or or uh leanings i guess um it it is interesting though because if we think our spouse now if they were damaged but they but instead of dying they could be um, their being, their everything we love about them, except their body, could be put into somebody else's body. How would that? How would that affect us? And uh, so, I, I want to ask you, T, um, if you had a relationship with a host, would it survive a transfer? I don't think so. I I, I can't imagine 
the same mannerisms coming from a different person. Like, you know, if my girlfriend went into this, you know, six foot two, big burly guy, that wouldn't work for me. And it's just, I would, I would, I just, I know that that's superficial. And I know that that's, you know, uh, something that's uh, uh, shallow about me. And yet I don't know how to say otherwise. It's just something that is like, inbuilt into me. And so I don't, I, I don't know, I struggle with that. I, I know that if that were the case, the relationship would not survive. And I don't know quite what to do with that about myself. Yeah, th thank you for your honesty. Um, yeah, I've thought about this myself, um, not in the context of this show, but I have an acquaintance whose um, husband transitioned into her wife. And not only did their relationship survive, but it thrived because my friend's spouse is now really happy. And um, I, st I, I think, what would happen if my husband, who's six foot two, wanted to transition into a woman? Would that survive? And, and I don't, I have to say, I lean towards, I don't think it would survive, but I don't know because I, I wonder about this other couple. Um, and what what my friend would have uh, answered, you know, perhaps she would have answered many years ago, no, it wouldn't have survived. But love is love, right? And when your choice is this love or not this love, um, maybe there's ways around it. I, I don't know, but I, I thank you for your honesty as well. Um, so this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens and we're discussing the episode, The Host, where Dr. Crusher falls in love with a male who becomes a female through a host transfer, and the relationship doesn't survive. So Joshua, if you had a relationship with a host, would it survive a transfer? He might be having trouble with his mute button again. Well, I'll ask that question to Steve, and we can get back to Joshua. Uh, Steve, if you had a relationship with a host and um, it needed to change its body, would it su survive the transfer? Let me see. Um, I mean, obviously, it always depends on a lot of details, but like for me, um, there's a lot of... Well, so... It's really more of a cultural thing in the first place that we even have relationships as we have them, right? In fact, there's there's a there's a lot to be said that um, you know by the very fact that so many people cheat in their relationships, it doesn't make sense to say that human nature is one hundred percent monogamous, you know, and then you look at like yeah the biological function the whole point in why we have this desire in the first place to form in these relationships or to form in you know just sexual intercourse in the first place it is to procreate that's why it's what it's been naturally selected for um and none of us is biologically like beholden to like none, none of us is beholden to do what our biology has uh fashioned as a strategy for our procreation so 
for me, the relationships that I hold are really much more about friendships than they are about sex. I think I can I I think it doesn't make sense to say like, oh, this is all over and we can't live together. We can't be like family with one another because sex is out of the picture now, right? It it just doesn't seem like that's the whole point of why I'm together with with my wife. Uh, I mean, in a sense, it kind of is because I, I want to have kids, right? But if that's even off the table, like we'd adopt and I'd find other ways to to um, take care of my biological need to to at least convince my body that I'm trying to procreate. Right. I just uh, I don't see how that really needs to change the fact that family is family, especially when you choose for that person to be your family. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's, um, it's a lot to think about. I, I guess there, when we think about um, our sexuality, it's a small part of why we're with people in general, especially if we're with people for a long, long time. Um, but when it's active, it's a real strong part. It's the only thing, right? So um so it is it is a lot to think about and i wonder if it changes as we get older right if if my thoughts on things might change as i get older and i'm out of reproduction age right and and how i i feel about the life my lifestyle and what i want from life um because when i was younger <laughs> a lot of those urges were probably um uh, more impactful and uh, decision making uh, than I wanted them to be. But let, let's um, go back to Joshua. He said that uh, he could share now. So Joshua, um, you know, when discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens, if you had a relationship with a host, would it survive a transfer? Well, the short answer is I don't know. The kind of expanded thing, and I'm I'm kind of actually going to cite Star Trek lore. Uh, to kind of give an example. So um, I don't want to ruin like, like, at what point does it not, is a spoiler warning not necessary? Uh, this is for DS9 and I'll, I'll speak. No big. spoiler. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm saying no spoiler warning is necessary. Okay. It, they're all really old. So yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so for those of you who are familiar with DS9, uh, Dr. Bashir was wildly attracted to Jadzia Dex, also a trill. And a host. Uh, eventually, she ended up marrying Worf, but then Judzia died. Dax, the symbiote, survived, uh, and eventually, um, it, there was this art story arc where uh, I can't remember the name of Jadz of uh, Dax's new host, but it was a weird thing. Right, a very awkward thing because she was still on DS9 as the the station counselor, and Worf was there, and it was just it was different, and he had to deal with his own uh, beliefs on the afterlife of you know, Klingon afterlife and all that stuff, and then she also the new host or the new pair 
for lack of a better way to describe it, ended up developing a relationship with Dr. Bashir, if I recall. Now, <clears throat> the when you have all of that together, it's a, a merging, specifically relevant to a host and that kind of situation, there are a lot of factors involved. And similarly, um, if I was with someone who had a host, right? Like it's not just the aesthetics um, relevant to their physical appearance and to the kind of the way you would interact. Um, I, I, I don't, and I would without getting too much into my per interpersonal things, um, just because somebody is um, bisexual or pansexual, I can't speak to, to the former, but to the first, um, that doesn't mean that uh, gender or gender normative uh, appearance things don't matter. So uh, I think that's a misnomer. Um, but relevant to the, the thing, it just really is a nuanced thing. Um, and so for me, um, it wouldn't be the same relationship, but it would be a different relationship. And I would have to negotiate that new relationship as a new possible scenario, regardless of what the gender was of the host. Um, that my, uh, you know, how that would play out. Oh, th th thank you, Joshua. Uh, T, did you have any response to that? Um, yeah, I, I think that was just a, a fantastic share. You know, it, it really got me thinking what, what you were saying. It's not necessarily like, you know, the sexual parts, it's the package. Like I could not find myself snuggling up to a Klingon they're just too thorny that they have too many bumps and hard places and everything. And it's just, it's that gruffness that, that I can't see myself doing because it isn't the sex as such as just the physical relationship. The physical relationship is part of the relationship that we have. The, the holding each other, the holding hands, the being close to each other, that type of thing. And so you know, it's one of those things where that's part of the package. And when you take away that part of the relationship, you necessarily change the relationship. So even if you go into a different host and it's a female, it's just another female human, I still feel like I would have to fall in love again. I still feel like I'd have to, you know, become, you know, be, become uh, not just accustomed to, but uh, enamored with the, the anatomy and, and that part of the relationship would change. And I don't, I think I love some anatomy more than I love uh, Klingon anatomy, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. You got me thinking because I, I think as we um, go through life and we have different relationships, something to con consider in this or contemplate in this is when we've had different lovers or relationships, the next person that you have, even if they're of the same gender, they touch differently, they feel differently, they hold you differently. And it is getting to know that even if it is the same gender. So it, it's always different. Um, there might be some commonalities, but um, yeah, it, 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 hmm. it, it's just a lot to think about. And I think out loud. So um We'll, we'll move on with this because we've got Stuart and Carl's come up to the stage. So um, this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse. And we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. 
And the episode we're discussing right now is the host. Dr. Crusher falls in love with a male who becomes a female through host transfer, and the relationship doesn't survive. So, Stu, if you had a relationship with a host, would it survive a transfer? <clears throat> would I survive the host transfer? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you had a relationship with a host, would your relationship survive a transfer to a new host? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Um... I think it would take a long time because as I said before, part of our human, one of the main things our brains developed is an ability to recognize faces. Um, it's inherent in, in one of the human uh, things about how we immediately recognize people. So if that, uh, the first problem is if it was another human being, you'd have to get used to a completely new face. Um, some people just wouldn't be able to re accept it. Their brains would just reject it. They couldn't accept that this person was that person, it would take, yeah, it would take years, maybe years because you, then you, there, there are mannerisms and it, it's at the end of the day, sometimes I think that's what the episode was talking about. Is it just the physical appearance or is it the uh, idiosyncrasies, idio, whatever that word is, that we uh, take for granted with our partners that remember? Because when you're remembering your, your partners, you do remember the face and that, that, but you also remember experiences that you shared with them, um, the funny moments or really funny shit that they said or did or things that you really cherish. Um, so I think you could, but um, it would have to at least be, you couldn't be if it was a different species because if, say, um, like you're saying with uh, Klingons, I suppose that's one thing, but even if it was just like a, let's say it was, it was a, you went from a bipedal to some uh, hexapod with uh, a really weird shaped head that would be even more strange so i think if you were willing to give it a chance i don't think you'd be like i think because the problem with that character he immediately started trying advancing on her um and there's a few plot holes we'll, we'll reject those like why didn't they know the trill was symbiotic in the first place but we'll we'll forget that for now um but yeah uh, i think if if he didn't maybe uh try and advance so fast and basically help her come to terms with it um maybe she might have um given it a chance but unfortunately her job probably would have would have not permitted that because then she would have had to say well i can either because it was a quick romance did she do we know if she knew him uh for a long time or it was just a fling that they'd started up does anybody remember that's one thing i can't remember from this one on the, on the mission to do the to do, the, to do the negotiation. Oh, so it's just a fling. So, oh, well, no. I, I think I think it would be different. If it was a very long-term relationship, then yes, because you wouldn't want to lose that. But a fling, no. no. I don't think so. Because it was obviously maybe, and then you've got to ask, is it infatuation more than actual attraction? Like immediate infatuation. Um, and then you've got to think, you know, whereas firstly, if, if, if you were in a relationship with someone, I don't think some... It, it depends on the symbiont. I think if you could come to terms to accept that, then you might be willing to give him a few years to adjust to the new body, but not if it was just someone you met from a one-night stand. No. You'd just be like, okay, bye. <laughs> I love the way you cut yourself off like you were like out the door before you finished. Well, it's like, yeah, saying it was goodbye. A, thank you for the great time. <laughs> thank you for the wonderful night we had bye. together. But see you later.
Um, I, I think those are really good points, Stu. Um, yeah, it was it was a fling, and and with flings, you're initially attracted to the the body. You get to know the person; they might f- make you feel really good and warm and all of that. But usually, there's a uh, a sexual attraction that is stronger than what Steve had been referring to, which was the um, the friendship of it. You don't really get to build a friendship just over 10 days, I would say. Um, those were, That was a really good share. Uh, T, did you have any comments before we move on to Carl? No, I think we should move on. Okay, thank you. Experiences. Um, um, the things that made us laugh, the, the, the good time, bad times. We miss living with them. Oh, sorry, my mic's still on. <laughs> just... uh, that's that's okay, Stuart. Um, I think out loud sometimes, uh, and my mic is still on, and I get caught in the act. Sorry, that, that could have been dangerous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, okay, <laughs> it's 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 all right. It's all right. So we're talking about the host um, episode, uh, and Carl. If you had a relationship with a host, do you think it the relationship would uh, survive a transfer? Yeah, it, it it probably wouldn't. And I think that overall, the things that, the kinds of things that we love can change. But when the thing that we love changes, that's when it becomes problematic because it's the totality of, of what you, of that thing is what made you love it to begin with. And so it has to be, a, you know, and all or nothing. It doesn't mean that you couldn't love something else. It just means that the reason that you loved that thing has changed, and now it's no longer that thing. Right, right. Hmm. Uh, thank you for that. No, I appreciate it. Um, T, we are at 11.15, and we still have a couple of episodes, but do you think we have time to uh, talk about The Outcast? I think we should do The Outcast really really fast, for sure. Okay, great. Um, So this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens, and the next episode we're going to discuss is The Outcast. Uh, T, did you want to give a summary of what happened in The Outcast? The Outcast, uh, Season 5, Episode 17, aired uh, March 16th, 1992. So we're, we're still progressing in time here. Uh, Riker falls in love with Soren, a member of an androgynous race known as the Janai, who dares to be female. In choosing this, she breaks her cultural norms, and they force her into reprogramming so she will be normal again. I chose this episode because it highlights a race where androgyny is the norm and Soren is face is forced to not be female. Um, so I think they really pack this episode full of gender issues. Uh, there's a card game in which Worf goes, uh, you know, somebody's, I think, uh, Troy specifies, a bu- specifies a bunch of wild cards for the poker game. Um, and Worf goes, this is a woman's game. And Dr. Crusher pipes up. Why? Because, because women are weak. And a great discussion about, you know, the the strengths of women uh, ensues, right? 
And Soren had some amazing quotes like, I've known I'm I've known I was different all my life. Or um, towards the end in her trial, she gave the most compelling, like, like, you know, speech I've heard in a Star Trek in a while. She said, I am female. I was born that way. I had those feelings. I've had those feelings, those longings all of my life. It's not unnatural. I'm not sick because I feel this way. I do not need to be helped. I do not need to be cured. What I need and for and what all of those who are like me need is your understanding and your compassion. We have not injured you in any way, and yet we are scorned and attacked, all because we are different. What we do is no different from what you do. And then after that, they use psychotactic therapy to reprogram her to not be female anymore in her head. And I felt that this was, you know, this was one of those things where, you know, uh, we, we had not yet really, you know, demonified, de demon, demon, demonified the, the, the whole like uh, reprogramming gays to not be gay quite yet. It was still one of those things where people that was sort of going around at the time and Star Trek start, you know, dared to speak up and, and have a real voice about this. And I thought it was very brave. Uh, for it to do that. And I thought it was a great episode that really gave a voice to, you know, people who, who dare to be who they are. Yeah. Thank you for that summary. I loved this episode. Um, and I know we're at, you know, eleven eighteen. maybe we can go a little bit longer today if you've got time, because there might be a few more bits of discussion. Um, did you mic? I couldn't hear you. Yeah, I said, yeah, totally. Definitely. We okay, good. Yeah, was, I just, I loved this episode. I thought the actress who played Soren was amazing. The writing was amazing. If people have not seen this recently, it it was amazing. And I got feels through the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, Soren paid a heavy price to dare to be female. So, I ask you, T, and then I'll ask the rest of the um, stage, were the doctors correcting a genetic abnormality, like curing a genetic disease for the Janai, or simply taking away her individuality and using genetics to justify their actions? That's a tough question, Victoria. Um, I... I don't really have a good answer to that because on one hand, of course they were taking away her individuality. I think that's unquestionable. But from their perspective, I think that they saw it no different than them correcting a heart condition that's genetic or some other condition that is impacting their way of life now, they were wrong in doing so, but that's the, the, the justification that they use. So I guess ultimately they were taking away her individuality and, and justifying it using genetics because in the, in the difference being, the difference being here is one of consent. When, uh, when, when people go to get a, a heart, you know, a heart surgery to correct their genetic defect, they're consenting to that. 
But Soren didn't consent. Instead, she chose to be different. She chose to be verbal about who she was. And they forced her into the decision. And I, I, I think that's the real difference here is that they, um, they, they were using genetics to justify their decision to force her into something that was not of her consent. Uh, thank you. Uh, welcome to the stage, Bishop. We're just going in PTR order about the topic, uh, and then we'll do a little bit of a, a popcorn-style discussion afterwards if we've got some time. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on this episode? Well, I think you the, the question can't be answered because their genetics are obviously different from human genetics. So, um, But the point was that her freedom to choose was being taken away. And you could see some correlation to um, abortion today with one's body. And so, although they might've thought that she had a genetic malfunction or, or inadequacy, if she was willing to live with it, including the osternation, uh, or I'm not saying that correct, uh, inclu including all of the societal consequences of choosing to be different from the rest of the society. It's like, well, why wasn't she allowed to do that? And what was the danger to the society to accept that someone may want to be different than the rest of them, which were androgynous? So, um, you know, there's several questions there, you know, personal freedom and it, is the society challenged in some way uh, by one person that's not the same as the rest of society. And we experience that the same today in human society. If someone wants to be trans or uh, feels that they were born with the wrong gender identification at birth, um, or they, they have uh, sexual um, orientation towards the same sex, um, you know, they are a minority. Um, and if they're willing to live with that, why would society be challenged with this minority that has a different sexual opinion? And don't they have the freedom to choose? And the same thing with abortion, you know, it's your body, the, the fetus is inside your body and depending on your body, um, do you have the freedom to choose on that also? Or can the state come in and force a decision that's different than what your choice is? These are, these are questions that American society today are important to consider and to think about going forward. Some people's um, religious beliefs would influence highly these questions. And um, I think that can be a difficult situation when that happens. But this, this um, episode did bring up a lot of good things to think about regarding gender and personal freedoms. Wow, thank you for that. Both, both T and Sean you bring up consent which I hadn't even had in my notes. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And uh, Sean, bringing up the abortion issue, I don't want that to derail this one, but I'm going to make a note of that because I'm quite sure that somewhere in Star Trek lore, there's been some uh, storyline that has uh, discussed that or alluded to that kind of consent or freedom somewhere. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing that up. T, did you have a response to Sean before we move on to Joshua? that his abortion parallel was absolutely perfect and right in line with you know the the very uh 
the very type of thing that they were trying to drive at, which is consent regarding medical issues. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate that I also did not put consent in my notes and I had to think about that, you know, in the moment and realize, yes, that is what's what's going wrong here is she's not consenting. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, you know, we sort of arrive at the the same parallels there. So I really wanted to thank you for that share. Thank you. Um, so this is Star Trek Sundays, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. We're discussing the episode The Outcast, where Soren paid a heavy price to dare to be female in a world or a species of um, genderless people, persons. So Joshua, were the doctors correcting a genetic abnormality, like curing a genetic disease or simply taking away her individuality and using genetics to justify their actions? Yes. I think this episode is not an easy one to answer. Now, granted, I haven't watched it for some time. I didn't pre-watch before the discussion. But I do think that, on the one hand, we're obviously watching science fiction, and I don't know if it was Steve or somebody else, maybe it was Stu, that said we are inevitably going to anthropomorphize species and cultures and we're going to have our biases. Um, and it was obviously <laughs> she was not happy about it, uh, at least in my recollection, but I, I'm not sure. And I, I think that the problem is, is that from a human perspective, obviously it makes sense that that, that would be, we would say that oh, that's, that's wrong and everything else. Um, I, I wonder though, uh, when you're, when you're actually kind of unpacking something, um, sometimes we do things that we think are good and we believe them strongly to be good and healthy. And we don't learn till generations later, the harm that we've caused. So I, I don't think it's an easy answer for this particular episode, but I'm glad that they made it because it forced people to think about it. That's about all I have to say on this one. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so this is a Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing gender in a galaxy full of aliens. And we're discussing the episode Outcast. So Stu, I'm going to pass it to you. Were the doctors correcting a genetic abnormality, like curing a disease in Soren, when they put her through this uh, psychokinetic, it's conversion therapy, or were they simply taking away her individuality and using genetics to justify their actions? Uh, so you can answer that question or make a comment generally on it. Yeah, that's one. Of, this is the part where because I joined the STS list late, so I didn't get to watch this episode. But it's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, looking at the wiki page, I can see Riker is doing his man thing <laughs> with getting on his. Oh, well, you haven't experienced. Yeah, you know, he's trying to get on his charms to Soren. I thought, yeah, that's typical Riker. Um, yeah, um, but one thing I can relate to is um, uh, there's an uh, Orville, which is the Orville, which is Seth MacFarlane's uh, um, uh, comedy and homage to Star Trek. Uh, the first season has a similar episode that is about gender conformity. Um, so yeah, if, you might know the one I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the Orville sometime, I strongly recommend it. It is hilarious, but it also has very topical issues. And there's one that is based about 
the gender identity and a race that is uh, uh, basically a child is born and she's being forced to change her identity based on the culture and the the crew who is very uh, you know liberal they're part of the liberal uh, sort of uh, get stuck between you know do, is it our right to as people who are pushing liberty to tell these people what do they do because these people were members of the crew one of them was a member of the crew or do we have to respect their culture and say well this is what these people do culturally they force gender change uh and so they're they're caught in that dilemma so yeah i think it's um interesting like uh if you look at things like insects uh how insects like seem to have like castes and, and genders but they're much more simple beasts and sometimes i wonder in a uh science fiction setting if insects evolved would they still have that same sort of caste you know like you're a male so this is what you do and that's all you do uh yeah but um yeah i'd recommend checking that out i i really couldn't answer for soren but i'll definitely check out that uh, episode and maybe uh, have a think about it uh, thank you um uh t any comments on what we've heard in the last little while um, something that came to mind was when Stuart mentioned that Riker was doing his um, his Riker thing. I have no, a, a note in my list of topics here, and it says, you know, do a topic on uh, misogyny in a utopia. And then my notes for, you know, what episodes to bring up is every episode with Riker and Troy in it. <laughs> Right, because Riker's just basically awful to Troy constantly. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, he's almost like, like the chauvinistic, but everyone seems to act like it's totally okay. And it's like kind of like even the stuff he does today, people would go, "Wow, wow." He's a great director. Yeah, he's a great. He's a, a Jonathan Franks is an amazing director. I don't like his womanizing character. Yeah. I never liked that about him. That just sounds like great acting because I think that's the point. Yeah. It's supposed it, to be characters. They, they were originally going to put Riker in as, like, there were some questionable, uh, they didn't know if Picard would make it. And they kind of did the whole thing so that he could be the new Captain Kirk, I think, is what they originally intended when they rebooted the series. It does come over as a Captain Kirk now you say that, Joshua. Wow. Well, no, yeah. I mean, that's actually specifically, if you go back and you look at the, the, the thought oh, process cool. when yeah, they were yeah. building, yeah, Gene Ron they, very they specifically were going to drop yeah. that, right? Yeah. Gene, Gene Maybe Ron... T, you can speak to that. <laughs> okay, you guys. Um, I want to have a popcorn style in just a minute, but uh, Io has been on stage for a bit, so I just want to let him do his share. You can share about uh, what you think about the outcast and the the question we've asked about uh, where the doctor's correcting a genetic abnormality. Um, and, and and if you want to touch on what you've put in the, the chat, you can do that as well. So we'll let Io have the stage for a few minutes, uh, and then we'll... we'll um, get to just sort of a popcorn conversation uh, bit for a, f a few minutes before we close out. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Without knowing too much about the medical details or genetics of that species, it would be hard. Uh, although the idea of a choice, freedom of choice, freedom to choose to be different, I think is central in human individuality or um, what is it called when you like transcend or become a person your own person we take that very seriously at least here in the west and i think that kind of ideal risks 
you know, falling to the wayside in a galaxy because I don't think it's easy to maintain. So I think in, in another culture to cast our expectations and so on would be uh, wrong, but I think the species is wrong for not uh, allowing the, the choice. Even if you're dying here and there's a surgery that could save you, you can still opt out of the surgery. Although there are exceptions where, you know, we want to make sure you're mentally fit, but that's more for your benefit so that you aren't prematurely or inaccurately making a decision. So I think they were focusing on genetics, but they were missing the morality tale, that species, and that kind of was a reflection of how we were failing to do that in the 90s. Thanks. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I know that in the episode, they actually said that, uh, and, and I think it was Soren who said that they had evolved to be genderless. Um, and that was actually a benefit to their species. Um, so that may obviously inform why they would want to make everybody that way. Because if now you've got people identifying as female and male and being attracted to, you know, Soren is a female being attracted to a Janai who's a male and taking on those roles. If they reproduce in those old fashioned ways, then maybe they will um, devolve in their own um, uh, species and, and in their minds because they think that they've evolved to something higher by not having these genders. Um, T, did you have any any response to anything? Yeah, there was definitely a, a discussion from Soren about about the way that their society had evolved, and there was also a scene where she was, you know, sitting with Riker, and was very curious about the way these gender situations worked, and she inquired about, you know, two lovers sitting at a table touching each other, and. And all of that and she mentioned a couple of things like that they choose to um sleep with each other not for mating but just you know to keep each other warm for the for the comfort of another person so i i think that there, there was a definitely a lot of you know discussion around how this this situation came about for her and why it was different and um the psychotectic um reprogramming i thought you know sounded sounded barbaric and and you know i think it the the outcome of it was was certainly shocking enough to to leave me you know very horrified but um i think it was this was a great discussion about this episode and just want to thank every, thank everybody who contributed to it because it was uh, right on the money uh, thank you yeah, this was our second episode, our second show of Star Trek Sundays, and we plan to do this every Sunday at 10 a.m. And as I said, the link tree in our um, in the room here does have, have episodes. If you just want to bookmark that, it'll always be updated, so you'll be ahead of the a, a game because if we if we plan you know, even two or three weeks out, uh, you'll have the opportunity to see uh, what he is curating and then of course we'll uh we'll uh um have some sort of uh schedule when we when we talk like we did this time we had these in a particular order for a, a particular um uh reason because they built on each other uh t did you want to take uh just a moment to talk about what next week is going to bring 
absolutely i'd be i'd be excited to um next week we are doing the kobayashi maru scenario which is a simulation scenario in which uh a, a captain is challenged in a way that they um uh the the answer to the to the you know solution is not obvious and um there's a number when i when i went to first look this up i thought it was just you know the original scenario that uh happened in the the wrath of khan with kirk hacking it but that wasn't the case uh the kobayashi maru actually appeared several times throughout multiple series um and each time it was a little bit different and i think discussing sort of like uh you know uh the questions that get asked when a no win situation occurs and the sacrifices that get made in order for leadership to occur effectively it's going to make a particularly good topic of discussion at least i hope it will after that um uh, the week after on 828 we are doing psychological warfare which uh we're going to start with one of my absolute favorite uh episodes and if i just say uh there are four lights everybody's going to know exactly what i'm talking about um followed by future and perfect in which uh riker uh, is in a simulation and can't uh, escape from it. And I'm still working on other episodes for psychological warfare. Um, but I do hope that you will do a little bit of watching beforehand. And I'll try and give you, uh, you know, try and build out that link tree a little bit more so that you have even more warning as to what we're going to do in the future. But I hope that this is enough uh, watching for the next uh, next week or so here. And uh, really look forward to discussing the Kobayashi Maru next week. Thank you, T. And, and thank you to everybody who participated. I know that there are people who um, were on stage and participated and then had to leave and others who were on stage participated as they could and then went to the audience. So I, I really appreciate everybody being here. Um, by all means, you can back channel T or me. Uh, let us know what you think and what your suggestions are. Well, I'm going to close out the room. Uh, T, did you have any any final thoughts? I'm super excited. This This discussion went uh, even better than I could have imagined. You guys are awesome. Everybody, everybody who shared Victoria is amazing. Um, I am super excited about um, the Kobayashi Maru next week. I do hope that you will do, you know, a little bit of watching. Um, even if you don't watch the whole Wrath of Khan, you can get the Kobayashi Maru in the first like fifteen or twenty minutes or so. It's at the beginning of the of the movie, so you can just watch the first fifteen minutes and pick that up, and then move on to the rest of the, you know, the other the other parts there. Of course, the Wrath of Khan happens to be my personal favorite of all of them, um, and so if you do want a good movie with an amazing ending, I won't I won't do any spoilers on that. But uh, after that, psychological warfare. And again, I'm going to work on more episodes for that. So look for the link tree to get filled up with that, as well as future episodes of Star Trek Sundays. Thank you to Victoria. We're going to be on here in Clubhouse um, every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And hopefully we're going to get a YouTube channel going here in just a little bit. We're going to start streaming to other places. And I'm really excited about that. So looking forward to doing all of those things. And... Hope to see you all in the hallways. Thank you, T, and thank you for your um, 
your, your, your talent and your time in curating these because this has just been, uh, and your summaries today were spot on. Um, so I, I do really appreciate it. We will try to keep them to 90 minutes. Um, sometimes they just they go over, but um, we wanted to be able to leave room for that. So I am going to leave the room open for another 30 seconds or so so that people can save the uh, link tree. And, uh, and then I'll close the room and we'll look forward to seeing all of you next Sunday. So have a great day.